College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 44 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1Baseball.com podcast. I'm your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Today's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros. If you are a softball hitter or a baseball hitter out there, um, get yourself an assessment. Let's find out where you are in the spectrum of making quality swing decisions. And once you know where you are, then you can create a plan to, to improve there. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything more important in the game of baseball than the, the, the hitter's swing decisions. Pitchers are trying to trick hitters to get them to make bad swing decisions. Uh, so hitters, let's not fall for that. Stupid pitchers. We're never going to fall for their tricks. Uh, uh, let, let me let me turn to a very more positive uh, subject, which would be my, my two friends here, uh, the great Kendall J. Rogers and Zebby Barrels, Fitty Barrels, Aaron Fit Barrels. How are we doing, gentlemen? We're doing excellent. Yeah, Good buddy. Good to talk to you guys. Look, you Roots. guys both have, both have your shock factor hats on. Well played. We do. I got mine behind Big donkey me. brand. Got to support, support the team. Yeah, yeah. 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 got to support the team. Did you, did you guys miss me last week? I know I know. Aaron was texting nope. me, my wife. Nope. Very appreciative of the fact that I did not get on the podcast last week. Yeah, it was good discipline. I yeah, was proud yeah. of you, Kendall. You're really yeah. going I'll, up. <laughs> to be honest, I was I was literally sitting on a beach and was going to go get on the podcast for like 10 minutes sitting on, sitting on a beach with like a rum punch in my hand. But I decided against it. Uh, we thought you were doing a site v- visit at the Cut and Shoot Texas Marriott, Kendall, for the big uh, uh, shareholders yeah. meeting. Well, you know, in realignment days, you never know. The University of the Virgin Islands might end up being in the SEC. So That's right. Someday, D1Baseball.com headquartered in the Virgin Islands. Wouldn't Let, that let's something? go. Let's go. The Cayman wow. Islands. Very good. Uh, boys, let's do this. Let's jump in um to our 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 wonderful conversation today so i want to do like early fall reflections because we are like we're taping this on october 3rd and i mean the fall is really getting going and it gets going fast but there's just there's so much stuff going on and i wanted to fitz you're going to be a great perspective here because you're you've you're the one that's seen some fall ball so far so here here's where my brain's at i'm really confused on roster construction in college baseball right now and like player movement. And I'll tell you why I say that I've got, you know, two uh, people in my friend group who have sons who are good, you know, they're going to play college baseball and they're kind of going through this recruiting process. And what, what they keep saying is unless you're like an Uber elite high school player, division one schools are really not super open to high school players. Meaning that, you know, unless you're immediate impact, they would rather a high school player go somewhere else and then get them in the transfer portal. And so I but I but this is like this is not like just SEC schools or ACC schools. This is like mid majors, too. It's almost like the high school players getting squeezed out. But I like the supply and demand part of my brain is confused because like, are there that many good players in the transfer portal? that you could just, I don't know, it's very confusing. Um, And Kendall, I know you've talked about, you've got your kind of nose to the grindstone on some rules that are being, you know, like some rule proposals. But let me start with you, Fitzy. Like when you go to Northeastern, you know, the the fall stuff that you've seen so far, 
are you seeing a lack of like freshmen out there or is is it does it look normal i guess that's the more fair yeah. question does it look the same to you or does it look noticeably different uh, here's what i think you know i get where people are coming from on this and you probably will see some teams that do kind of lean that way, lean more and more heavily into the transfer portal. But what I'm seeing more is yeah, every, every team's got some transfers. Maybe in some cases your, your transfer quota kind of replaces what maybe in the old days would have been your Juco guys or, you know, mm-hmm. just your, your standard grad transfers. Maybe now you've got have a mix of grad transfers and regular four-year transfers and maybe a Juco guy like Northeastern you mentioned, pretty typical, you know, it's 11 freshmen, it's five transfers. Um, NC state. I was out this week and they had, I think 14 freshmen, five transfers, um, and, and they love their freshman class. Like it's, yeah. it's actually, you know, I love their freshman class, boy, I'll tell you this, this, they, they think this might be their best group of freshmen since 2011 with Redon and Turner. Wow. Um, and, and I see that like, mm-hmm. they've got real arms there at NC state um, in that, in that young class that are going to supplement their older kind of pitchability veteran guys. And that's kind of the thing that I guess has been missing for the Wolf Pack. I mean, they're, they're really good teams. They've had those power arms, but oftentimes they, they hit every year, but a lot of times it's, you know, it's kind of your pitchability mound guys. If these, these young dudes can really develop and you could build your, your team around that for a few years. So I think especially um, on the mound, you know, when you're, when it comes to, to building, uh, building a team, building a program for the next three years, um, that's, that's an area where I think you still really got to go after those high school arms. And, 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 and the fall report that I posted today, UConn, uh, same kind of deal, you know, this year with their, their freshman class, um, they, they spent heavily on, on the, on the arms, you know, in the recruiting class. Yeah. They got transfers too. They got some guys that they think they're going to help them from the small school ranks, especially uh, through the transfer market. Uh, but I mean, you know, I reeled off five, six, seven names of freshman pitchers that are going to be core pieces for them going forward, you know, and, and uh, I love that model, you know, maybe there's still areas you can fill in, you can get a, you know, maybe an instant impact closer or even a weekend start or whatever. But like, I still love the model of, uh, you know, kind of like, like what Florida typically does or UCLA, like they're, they're loading up on those high profile freshman arms, those guys that, you know, can be foundational pieces. And uh, I guess there's a lot of different ways you can do it guys, but I, I still think that's a winning model and, I, and I'm seeing a lot of it on the road so far early in the fall. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that's the part that's still to be determined, right? Like everyone, there's been so much change and the way coaches are going to put their rosters together is going to change. Kendall, can you update us on, it sounds like there's some, some, there's some movement kind of behind the scenes on, you know, like things like counters, roster sizes, um, you know, all those different types yeah. of things that, that, that tie into this stuff. Yeah. First is kind of look at the roster thing real quick. You know, I think Aaron brought up a great point about, you know, there's still value to having a lot of freshmen and, you know, that kind of draws me back to LSU last year a little bit in the sense that one of the most impressive things they did to me, isn't necessarily the fact they won so much. It's the fact that they had all those players and still, I mean, who knows what actually happened behind the scenes, but at the at the facade of this program, it looked like the clubhouse was in really good shape. So I, I guess my thing is like that 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 is not like to me the norm when you bring in a bunch of new guys that are let's say they're you know they're talented at Wofford, they're talented at Stetson, and they all go to South Carolina. I feel like it's a lot harder to get those get those guys to be kind of all in and kind of assimilate those guys into the into the culture 
than it is to get a kid, you know, straight out of Raleigh or, you know, you know, uh, whatever, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina to go to NC State and kind of immerse them into the culture. Because I kind of feel like a freshman, like I kind of feel like you feel you, you go into something or go into a program feeling like you have to kind of earn, you know, earn everything a little bit. Whereas like if you're a transfer, I feel like there's an expectation set in terms of the, in terms of your role. So I, I actually still think there's a value there. But I, I will say this. Uh, I know we've all talked to coaches over the last couple of years that really struggle to an extent, uh, even the the biggest coaches in the game with, Hey, like how, like how much should I go in the portal versus recruit high school players? You know, you think here's a a perfect program to talk about on this is, is Florida with Kevin O'Sullivan. Florida can literally go get any high school kid they want in in the state of Florida. Now, I don't know if things have kind of changed a little bit with JD uh, being the head coach of Miami a little bit because they, they do have a lot or, you know, uh, Miami does have a lot of success in the South Florida area. But for the most part, Florida is winning a lot of the battles against Florida State in recruiting. So, like, if you're solely and you can go get anybody you want in the state of Florida, like, man, that's a really tough decision. Do I go get, like, nine elite guys out of the state of Florida in baseball and in, in the high school ranks? Or do I – you know, spend some of my capital on Colby Shelton and guys like that. So I, I think it's a very difficult kind of balance for some, uh, for a lot of coaches and really the power, the power conference coaches who have an NIL aspect and things like that. Yeah. I think coaches are scared to be young right now. Like, yeah. I think that's, you know, it's funny. I did the Sunday night conversation this week with Ryan Fulmer at Oral Roberts and it was awesome. It was one of my favorite conversations. Mm-hmm. He was great. You know, what a magical run. They're the third four, third four seed in the history of college baseball. You know, it, I should say in this format since 1999 to make it to Omaha. And, but, you know, like, guess what? They had an old team. Now, it yeah. wasn't like a crazy portal team. Like, they're still kind of doing the old school Juco stuff quite a bit. But, yeah, it, 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 to your point, Kendall. Hey, Kendall, what are you so so the, th- the what are you hearing on counters, scholarship yeah. minimums, roster sizes? Sounds like there's some stuff afoot behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, actually, uh, we have a story out today, just kind of a, the state of college baseball going in the fall. Obviously, one of the biggest events, probably the biggest event for college baseball, the the ABCA convention uh, is right what, first week of January in Dallas this year. We'll all be there. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the big things coaches have been asking, whether it's me, Aaron, you, you know, uh, Joe or whomever, um, is, you know, like, what's the roster going to look like next year? Because right now um, it's a 40-man roster with 32 counters, uh, but that way, that, that is a waiver that goes away at the end of the year. Uh, and there's a moratorium on legislative action with the NCA right now. So, you know, I guess the question is, A, when does that moratorium go away uh, and legislation can be passed, and B, uh, ultimately, what will the NCAA kind of decide college baseball gets? And that's kind of what, uh, you know, I was talking to Craig Kyler today. That's kind of what they're going to discuss later this fall, or I guess you'd say later this winter uh, at the ABCA convention is, you know, what do coaches prefer? It does sound like there's a lot of movement behind the scenes to essentially sticking with a 40-man roster permanently, getting rid of counters altogether, because we were at 27. Now we're at 32, which for those of you, for fans out there who may not know, that means 32 players in your, on your roster can be on scholarship under what kind of has some momentum in the background. Uh, there would be no counters. So you could have all 40 players have two percent, you know, whatever, have a percentage to some degree uh, of a scholarship. Uh, and then the other thing, and this will, this will be really what will kind of get a lot of major coaches, and rightfully so, right, uh, is the elimination of the 25% scholarship minimum. Um, if, if all three of those things occur, 40 man roster, 
unlimited counters up to 40, obviously, and then elimination of a 25% minimum scholarship, that's going to change the game for a lot of programs. See, I, I, it's going to be interesting. Like I'm, I'm struggling with how much is it going to change the game because like, well, and, and, and here's the thing, like NIL has come on the scene so fast that it's like, do we even have like, I, I'm going to say something that's kind of ridiculous, but I kind of sort of mean it. Like does 11.7 even mean anything anymore? Like, cause these NIL budgets are going to keep increasing. Right. And so like, there's ways around it. Yeah, I mean, it, well, here's a perfect example. So Texas Tech, uh, or no, who was it the other day? Not Texas Tech. Um, uh, oh, Vanderbilt. You know, so Tim Corbin, and a lot of his words have gotten taken out of context. You know, uh, people said, oh, he, he says he's never doing NIL. That's not what he said. Uh, he's just He just said he prefers kind of the old school route. But, you know, Vanderbilt announced that every single player on the roster is going to get NIL money. Um, A&M has the same kind of program. Texas Tech has the same kind of program. I'm going to guess all these other programs do as well. So you're right to a degree that, like, yeah, you may have 11.7, but every single dude on that roster is getting NIL money. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if you're a collective, there, there's, there are no rules saying who you can give money to. So theoretically, Runes, you could look at your, your roster management and your roster setup and go, okay, Hey, uh, you know, these guys are 11.7, but, you know, Aaron Fitt and Mike Rooney aren't 11.7. We need to get those guys, you know, we need to get, or, you know, we need to get those guys a little extra money. Yeah, there's no salary You can actually kind of finagle your collective dollars to actually account for that. It's kind of crazy, really. Hey, Fitzy, you be the judge for a second. I'm going to be attorney Rooney here. Do you mind if I make a case to you? I I would love that. Yes. Okay. So, so your honor. Um, I would argue that coaches in college baseball, we need to just forget about counters and scholarship minimums because to Kendall's point a second ago, with NIL money and Austin money and, you know, the, the, the allure of schools in the SEC and of that ilk, why, what, like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm going to give you this example, Your Honor, Arkansas and Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas is a program I think is a very good program. They've got a nice facility. They've had good players. You know, I, I consider that a well-run program. If there are 10 recruits in that region and Central Arkansas offers them 50% scholarship out of their 11.7 and Arkansas, University of Arkansas at Fayetteville offers those 10 kids a roster spot. My contention is that 10 out of 10 are going to Arkansas because even without scholarship, they're going to get Austin money. It's in state, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, if we're worried about player hoarding, which it feels like that's what we're worried about. And I think it's a fair worry. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we just strip all these ancillary topics away, you know, scholarship minimums and counters and all those types of things. Let's focus on what's the right, amount of players in the fall because if i if i most programs i'm looking at have 46 47 guys in the fall and they have to cut six or seven at thanksgiving if i'm the mid-majors that's the real issue those are six or seven players i can't have and then on top of that at the end of the spring i lose three or four players to the transfer portal so your honor that's the argument that i would submit to the to the courts is that we're talking about all the wrong things if player hoarding is what we worry about does the defense have a rebuttal, Kendall? No, I like what he's saying. 
<laughs> yeah, we're kind of on the same team. We're, well, we're I'm going to have to rule right, in favor of the plaintiff then. I think that's a good <laughs> point, Runes. Uh, it, really, it really is kind of interesting. I mean, the, the NIL stuff is, is very complex, guys. Um, there's a lot of just moving moving targets on this issue. But, you know, I was talking to a college coach the other day who brought up the California case going on right now. Uh, I don't know who, who its verse is or whatever, but it's essentially called the uh, – Let's see here. It's called the College Athlete Protection Act. And what essentially would happen here is college athletes would be required to get NIL money based on how much their program makes for the school. So like a football player and a basketball player, this is, I mean, let's be honest, like we're mainly talking men's basketball and men's football. Those players would, would be required by a school to give a certain amount of money because that program brings in X amount of revenue. And this coach kind of told me, like, this could really change all of college athletics, like, even more so than it's already changed. Because what happens is if you're a collective or if you're a school, and the school, and the school by the way, would be, would be part of this, divvying out this money. If you're a school, let's say you're, you're at USC or something like that, and you're given, you know, so much money to the football team and the basketball team and you're the athletic department, you may not have enough money to pay for some of these other sports if you're given this amount of money to the to the football team. So his point was keep an eye on this case. I think I think they're the Supreme Court, I think, is actually hearing it. Uh because if it passes, if the Supreme Court is in favor of the of the athletes here, that would mean that there would be some programs around the country that would definitely get cut. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a lot of sports. Doesn't I think um, the NBA has that. The NBA has a deal where the players get X percent of revenue and but it just it, I, the the accounting part of that's scary, right? Cuz yeah. you know, revenue is top line dollars, but what about costs and oh man. Hey, um, uh go ahead, Fitzy. You you're right. Yeah, that's that's above my pay grade right there, but I, I want to push back on one thing you said, Runes, um during your argument a moment ago. Mm-hmm. You said if if Player hoarding is what we're worried about. And my question to you is, are the powers that matter worried about player hoarding? Because I would argue probably not. Like the, yeah. the, the, the programs that are moving the needle, they want to hoard the players. Of course they yeah. do. They know? should, right? Because that's – yeah, that, I think, I think Fitzy, it's a very fair question because like um, if you're running one of the power privileged programs, you know, like you're running one of the big-time programs in college baseball – you know, you should take the rules and then run the best program you can. If that means having 49 guys in the fall, you should absolutely do that. The rules allow you to do that. You have to make that determination as the CEO of that program. The the, the angle that I'm looking at is that like, okay, program X, when you have 49 guys this fall and you cut nine of them at Thanksgiving, is that good for the global version of college baseball. And I'm asking that a little pejoratively. I, I, I wish I did that better. I don't mean it that way. Like, I don't know the answer to that. Like my gut is, I think you guys can tell where my gut is. My gut is that, no, like that's, I'm yeah. really concerned about the mid-majors. I hear, you know, Kendall, I think you hear the same thing. I hear the top 50 coaches saying, hey, the gap between us and the mid-majors is growing. They're getting worse and we're getting better players. I hear coaches, you know, uh, hey, you guys know I've crunched the numbers. In Omaha last year, those eight teams, if you took every player on their roster that got one at bat or threw one inning, 
the average number of players was 33. So even with 46 kids in the fall, that's 13 players that yeah. will not, they will not participate. So I, I'm worried about it, but you're right. Fitzy, yeah, I mean, the coaches he, don't need to worry about it. Here you know? is the reality is that these things like liberals are the wrong word, but like the, these things are only going to get more open. Like the way it is right now, like, you better really enjoy the way it is right now, like the, the rules the way they are right now, because the rules are just going to get more loose as we go on here. Like they're not going to all of a sudden wake up one day and go, you know what? We're going to crack down on, you know, athletes' rights is the wrong word, but we're going to crack down on the athletes. Like if anything, it's going to start – it's going to move even further out than it already is. So There's- it's one of those things like you either adjust or you're screwed. So, yeah. I mean, like – you know, there, there's a coach that they emailed all of us a couple of weeks ago. And I won't name names because, like, I don't, I, I don't like. I, he makes a great point. Like, I don't, I don't think he's a whiner. He makes a great point, but the problem is, like, that's not going to change, especially now. Like, the transfer portal is not going away. If anything, it's going to get even more just crazy over the next few years. So, as frustrating as it is, like, the reality is, if you're a a mid major and you have a stud player you're either gonna have to be like sam houston where you just do a great sales job and a guy like a walker yannick or, or a guy like that that he just refuses to leave or i mean the reality is they're probably gonna go somewhere else but and and it sucks but it's not a ba- it's not a baseball issue is what i'm saying yeah. it is a nca is a whole college athletes is a whole issue like and it's not going to get any better and and you know, being up in Northeastern last week and talking with yeah. Mike Lavin, and it struck me that we were talking about Mike Sirota, and he just said, man, I'm, I will always be grateful to that kid for yeah. his loyalty, for his loyalty. Like, we're talking about, this is this is the state we're in right now. You're a mid-major. You've got a really good sophomore, like a superstar. Mm-hmm. And it's like this exceptional thing that he chooses to be loyal and stay there for junior yeah. year rather than going, you know, with chasing the NIL money or whatever. Like, that's just the reality, and it, it stinks. I hate that. It makes me cringe. At the same time, yeah. you know, tip my cap to Mike Sirota and tip my cap to Jacob Wilson last year and these guys who I, I think there's a lot to be said for that, for, for loyalty. Um, but the, the bottom line here is that I, I share runes, your concern for the mid-majors and their plight going forward. I think it's not going to get any easier, but I also think it's clear that we're not going back to the days when the have-nots pushed, you know, drove, drove the cart and the haves, you know, were outnumbered. And so they just didn't get their way. Like if anything, you know, that's it. Like if, if I'm sorry, if you're a mid-major, that, that seems to be the, the way that the, the, the wind is blowing now. I mean, you know, it's more and more autonomy for the, uh, for the power conferences, yeah. however many power conferences there will wind up being after all this. It'll <laughs> um, be like two at the end. Yeah. No kidding. Like the power two <laughs> is going to wield all the power and everybody else is just, you know, fighting for table scraps and yeah, yeah uh, I, don't I think mean, we're going to legislate roster sizes to appease the mid majors. I just think that's unlikely. Yeah. And then the other thing too, is I feel like a lot of coaches out there kind of misunderstand our, our point of view. Like, I don't think any of the rooms, I don't want to speak for you, but like, I don't feel like the three of us like love the idea of like people, like a guy like Sirota potentially killing it at Northeastern and then hitting the road, or the 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 Wahia Loy kid at uh, Sac State who kicked ass his freshman year, and then hightails it to the SEC. Like I don't think any of us love that, right? But 
like uh, us barking about it isn't going to change it because this is so much higher as Aaron just said about another topic. This is so much higher than our pay grade. Like it'd be, it, I mean, it'd be, you know, it'd be like, you know, sitting sitting the White House lawn to to change legislation on in Congress. Like you're not like nothing's going to change because a citizen goes out there and yells at the White House. I do. Yeah, I think it's all fair. Like, and, and you're right, Kendall, the transfer portal, and, and I don't want to portray it this way, the transfer portal and NIL, they're not going away. And I don't, I don't like, I don't want to sit here and to your point, yell at clouds about how great college baseball could be if we eliminated those two things. I don't think it's about that. I think it's about like, there are ramifications. Like for instance, you know, I share with you guys, I talked to a coach recently who you'd classify as mid-major. He's got three kids that are, that are signed up to go to the Cape this summer. And he's, and they've not used their one-time transfer. And he's thinking, I, I don't want my players to go to the Cape. I want them to go for their own careers, but yeah. I've got 37 other kids I got to think about too. And if they lose their three best teammates next summer because they went to the Cape Cod League, I'm going to de-emphasize the Cape Cod League in my program, right? Like, what, why would I do that? But I think here's the point I'm making. Yeah. When you think about global college baseball, I don't think it's mid-major versus like power programs per se. If we're going to, everybody I'm looking at has got 45 man fall rosters. Let's assume they play 35 this spring. We'll actually get even in at bat or pitch an inning. Ten, and let's just take, let's think about the top 50 programs. 10 times 50, that's 500 kids that have Division I baseball talent that are not going to play Division I baseball this spring. So where, what, what happens? Like, are they going to go to Juco? Are they going to go to division two? And that's not even counting the kids that we couldn't get to division one baseball because they signed in the draft. So I'm worried about the talent pool. That's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about like mid, you know, like I, we all love a good mid major story. We all love when LSU's great at college baseball, right? Like we're not playing favorites over here, but those 500 players like that, man, that's a lot of talent Ooh. to just throw in the closet for next year. Like, that's what has me concerned. Um, we're not a sport like football where we can tell those kids, just go get in the weight room and play yeah. on the kickoff team next year. Like, baseball players need the reps. So that's where I'm struggling is we have a system right now where we're taking a lot of players that have the ability to play at this level, and we're just shoving them under the rug. And I, I just I – don't, I don't know what the fix is, to your point, Kendall, but that does not feel sustainable to me. Well, what also kind of concerns me a little bit, and this is kind of getting deep in the weeds here, but what also concerns me a little bit is, you know, we just discussed NIL and roster management and things like that. And one thing I wonder is if we get on the list and, you know, we, we just talked about how, you know, we joked about there only being two conferences, but I think we're honestly closer to that than we are the opposite by far. Um, I think the concern I have is that if, if you're, and I just want to, I'm not going to, like just label the SEC as, as the only conference that would do this. But let's say you're the ACC in North Carolina, NC State, Georgia Tech, Florida State, and the SEC, all the big boys, they're all paying every single player NIL money. If that's the case, guys, like what is the incentive for the SEC and the ACC to, to fight to increase scholarships? If those kids are getting NIL money that the athletic department, by the way, is not fitting the bill for why in the world would they go to the NCA and go, hey, uh, we need 28 scholarships that, oh, by the way, us as an athletic department want to pay for? No. Mm -hmm. They're going to go, hey, I mean, let's let the collectives handle it. So I think we're going to reach a point where it's going to be very interesting to see 
you know, in a couple of years, does, does, you know, I'm trying to remember who the ACC commission is. It's not still Jim Phillips. Is Jimmy it? Phillips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is still Jim. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're Jim Phillips and you're Greg Sankey, like, I kind of wonder, like, are your schools still going to be like, Hey, we should really fight to increase scholarships. Or are they going to say, Hey, by the way, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the diamond or the diamond Hills collective is, you know, giving every UNC player 10 grand a year to help take some of the burden off of them. Hey, don't, don't worry about getting more scholarships. I think that's, a, I think that's a legitimate concern moving forward. Yeah. Interesting point. Um, hey, Runes, if I could circle back for one second on Please. the question you asked at the beginning of the show about fall roster makeup. I've done, I've crunched a little numbers here using our, our uh, newcomer questionnaire reports mm. uh, and kind of compared this year to previous years. Oh, and wow. what I found is that, uh, the average recruiting class, and this isn't, it's not, it doesn't cover all 300 plus teams, but we got a, we got a large response, 240 or so teams responded. And then uh, the average fresh, the average incoming class this year is uh, 10.2 freshmen, hmm. uh, 4.8 Juco transfers, and just about five, 4.97 uh, four year transfers. That's your average hmm. class, about, so about 20 newcomers uh, per class. Last year, um, a little smaller, but 18.9 newcomers per class. And again, there's some dynamics here with rosters and COVID things easing up or whatever. Maybe there's more, more spots to fill. I don't, I don't know if it's a matter of bigger rosters or what, but uh, it was about 10 freshmen last year, 4.8 Juco four four year transfer. So we have seen an uptick in four year transfers, almost, almost yeah. an entire one transfer per team more than last year. And, and just for a reference sake, 2019 last year before the pandemic, um, the average freshman class was 9.8 is about four Juco kids and, you know, 0.6 four year transfers. So the classes are bigger now. And again, I don't know, you know, with the COVID stuff and the, the roster size changes that, that, that sparked like how you compare those things, but yeah. that's what, that's what we're seeing. So those are your trends. Yep. Yeah. I think I'd be curious to talk to Juco coaches as well. Like, yeah. you know, has, has the talent in Juco ball improved over the last couple of years? Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't see enough. I think I watch like one Juco game a year, but I'd be curious to know if that the level of play in that, that division has gotten a lot better. Yeah. I mean, certainly has, it's, it's not gotten better over a 20 year period, but you're yeah. right. It's, I, I think, I think that's the perfect bow for this kind of like where you where the way where my brain went when you just said that is, Hey, like there's just the, the seas are shifting violently and in all kinds of unpredictable uh, directions. And so I think, you know, Fitzy, it, this speaks to the stats you just wrote off. If you're a coach in that world and you're trying to get your arms around it, you probably are taking more players because you're just trying to figure it out right now. Like it's not if, if I'm asking coaches to be precise in their player acquisition practices right now, that's not a fair ask because the environment is not, yeah. you know, it's, it's such a whipsaw right now. So it's being, yeah. being a baseball coach and frankly, a college coach in any sport that's a, you know, somewhat revenue sport has got to just be excruciating these days because, you know, you're trying to recruit, you're trying to coach your team. You're trying to keep kids, you know, you're, you're, if you're a big time program, uh, you know, if you piss a kid off, he's probably going to go in the portal and go somewhere else. I, I can't imagine dealing with all those things at once. Yeah. And it, it, it hurts the, that's another thing that hurts the, you know, spend a lot of money and time investing in freshmen. Are they going to be there? You know, like, like I, I heard one coach this fall say, Hey, if, if my freshman plays too much, he's gone. If the freshman plays too little, he's gone. Now that's, you know, like this is exaggerated, right? Like we, we get all that. 
Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Hey Fitzy, let me let me um, let me turn us to this. So you're mm -hmm. up at Northeastern. You you've seen some fall ball so far, and you can take us wherever you want. But I'm really curious about Northeastern because I've got all these mixed, you know, conflicted feelings in my mind. And then um, and then I read your fall report on Northeastern. It's like, dang, okay, there's a program I can set my watch to, right? Like Mike Lavin and those guys, they know who they are. Kids like Mike Sirota are staying. Like, man, like you talk about an anchor in the middle of a really rough sea. That report was really refreshing to read. What? Yeah, yeah go wherever you want with it. But that was super yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a top 25 team. You know, a preseason top 25 team. That's what I think they are. Um, it's a team that won a lot last year. They have been winning the last five. They've been to, what, three regionals the last five years, something like that. Um, you know, they, they just kind of need to – for them, it's like take that next step. They're kind of, you know, approaching that same – I think we talked about this before, the kind of UNC Wilmington category to use one of their league mates where it's like now they're a regional regular. Mm -hmm. um, they need to take that next step, play better in a regional you know, um, get to a regional final, you know, that kind of thing, win a regional, uh, and they need to repeat it, you know, back to back. I mean, coach Glavin said it in this, in this report. I mean, um, the last three times they've made regionals, they've kind of laid an egg the following year, 59 and 58 record in the year after. Um, and so, you know, he's kind of worn out that message like, Hey, we need to, we need to do better. But the fact is they're getting, they're getting guys right. And they're developing guys. And it's not just Sorota. I mean, I think Cam Maldonado's, He's super exciting, like power speed guy. Also, he stole what 30 went 32 for 33 in steals last year with 13 homers and 13 doubles as a freshman hit 353. Like that'll play, you know, I mean, they got guys, they got power in there. Older players, Tyler McGregor, Alex Lane, like physical dudes. Um, you know, they, they, they've done a good job kind of upgrading the power arms on their staff and you still have your strike throwing kind of mainstay guys back and, and Avon Cabral and, and Wyatt Scotty. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it is not, I think it's going to be difficult for, for programs like that to compete every year, especially at a private school. But I mean, then again, you look at this, this program and it's like, why are they competitive anyway? I mean, like you're in Boston, you know, it doesn't get nice yeah. until May. You're at a private school. That's very expensive. Your facilities. I mean, you know, I, I wrote about this in the report, but I'm, I'm out there. It's, it's Saturday morning scrimmage trying to beat the weather. Um, you know, they finish up and as, as I'm talking to, to Glavin on the field, like they're setting up the soccer nets behind him and, and, and right in center field. Like they don't even have their, their right and center field, like set up to the proper dimensions because they've got Amazing. to make room for the Brookline, you know, high school soccer team or football team or whatever, like seriously, <laughs> Marching like, band. that's what we're doing. You're here. like, you're like, this is a division one baseball program. Yeah. So, so it already, it already defies <laughs> logic that these guys are good, basically, you know, I mean, consistently now and that they, they have the kind of talent they have. And I, I think it, it does speak and, and it's cliche, but it does speak to the value of culture and coaching and development. Yeah. Um, they've built those things. They've built a, a culture, you know, like, Hey, if you want, if you're all about the gear and the facilities, like maybe this isn't the place for you, but if you want to get better, if you want to be tough and you want to win, um, you know, I mean, we'll make you better. And, and, and I think that programs like Maryland kind of had done that too under chef and then under, um, under Rob Vaughn, they've kind of kept that same thing going. It's like, they would take me around to the facilities when I'd come in the fall and they'd be like, yeah, like, you know, if, if guys, if they're all about the facilities, like maybe you're not going to be a good fit here, but like, you know, screw that. Like we're going to embrace that. We're going to make you better. And that's what it's about. 
And so I do think there is still a roadmap, but it just, it, it's all about people guys. And it's all about selling your, your other things that you, your school offers to your education, Northeastern, you know, whatever, Maryland. I mean, there's other things that these, these places can offer uh, in addition to the baseball, but I think it's just, you know, the bottom line is you got to have the culture and uh, yeah. every coach wants that. Every coach talks about that, but actually doing it and building it is, is something different. What's what's really interesting about Northeastern, I'm just kind of going through the roster. I was just curious of like the makeup geography wise of their players. What this kind of tells me is that the the talent level of high school players in New England is actually pretty damn good. So, I mean, if you look at their roster, they've got like three or four kids from, from New York. And uh, don't worry, Aaron, I'm not going to call New York, New England. Uh, but they've got like three or four kids from New York. But other than that, it's Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, obviously, Maine. Uh, and so, like, that that tells me when you consider programs like Connecticut and Boston College, who have been good recently, that tells me that the talent, the, the high school talent level up there must be pretty dang good. And UConn, of course, you know, gets a ton yeah. of New England kids and Massachusetts kids, Connecticut kids, in addition to some New York kids. But, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, and plus you got your SEC, ACC programs that go up and, and, and raid New England every year, Vanderbilt and Virginia and North Carolina and, you know, Clemson. These kind of p- programs have a long history doing that. So, yes, um, you know, there there is actually, like, it's kind of a sneaky, good region. And a lot of times you're getting guys that aren't necessarily polished enough and ready to go out and play pro ball, but they have upsides. A lot of them are multi-sport guys, hockey and football guys. You know, they have that kind of physicality and, and mentality to them that they just need to kind of, you know, learn how to focus on just being a baseball player. And once they do, they tend to blossom year two, year three. I think that that's something you see yeah. a lot. And that's why, you know, the Vanderbilts of the world uh, like getting those kind of kids too. It's identity, right? Like I think Mike, you know, Mike Lavin's phenomenal. A part, you know, one thing he could probably go anywhere he wants, right? Like, I mean, he, that's a national baseball name. Yeah. He loves it there. And then also like their identity, the they play they're aggressive they run they're physical they're athletic like they're, it kind of fits their recruiting pool too um but you just to put a bow on that it's so cool like it's you know it's so easy to root for northeastern uh and that, that again that i i if you're listening that fall report that fitzy wrote on northeastern was phenomenal hey kendall let me you've been doing some of these fall nuggets that are kind of appetizers for our fall report yeah. Two teams that stuff that that's now one hasn't made it in there yet, but I'm curious what you've learned about Indiana State and Arkansas were two schools that really jumped out from our chats and from what I've read in your nuggets. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think when you look at Indiana State overall, I think a lot of people naturally uh, will look at their run last year and go, oh, you know, mid-major must have had a bunch of older guys. Uh, they're probably going to take a step down the next year. Uh, what's really interesting is it sounds like the Sycamores, and granted it's fall ball, so I mean we'll kind of see how things transition in the spring. But it sounds like you know they're actually really good again. Uh, you know they all, they have some household names back from last year. You know you know Josue Urdaneta, Randall Diaz is back. Uh, if you look at their you know their pitching staff, uh, you know Jacob Pruitt's back. He's you know he was a guy that you know had a six seven five ERA for them last year. Uh, apparently he was 96, 98 last weekend's Indiana. Uh, the Indiana transfer, Luke Hayden, was up to 98 uh, and was electric against the Hoosiers. Uh, and then, you know, if you look at the, you know, the rest of Indiana State's club, you know, they've got, uh, you know, they got their catcher back, the McGill kids back for another year. You're talking about a just an ultra experience backstop. And then Jared Spencer, who had a little bit of a scare in the scrimmage, it got a little bit banged up. You know, if you remember, he came out of the Super Regional game uh, against TCU last year with an injury. You know, the test came back negative. 
He got banged up again last week. Thankfully, the test came back negative, but you're talking about a top 50 prospect. And so uh, it does look like Indiana State's going to have another very good team with experience in a lot of important areas. And Indiana, guys, uh, has a chance to be a really solid club too. You know, Nick Mitchell, uh, the Western Illinois transfer, who if you go look at his profile on D1 Baseball from, from his year with the Leathernecks last year, their video game numbers, uh, he was all obviously ultra impressive. Uh, for Indiana. And then the other team for me that kind of caught my eye, uh, and, and I, th- I think Joe was the first one to kind of bring this to our attention, so I did some digging on the scrimmage, uh, is Purdue. Uh, Purdue won a won a doubleheader from Louisville in a, in a fall scrimmage. And so, uh, you know, I talked to Greg Goff uh, and got some nuggets from him. You know, Luke Wagner, the Georgia transfer, has done a really nice job for them uh, from the left side. Jackson Danley, an experienced arm for, for Purdue, uh, was really good in that scrimmage. Uh, then Cooper Kornblum, uh, was very good for for the Boilers, too. So, you know, Purdue struggled last year in the Big Ten, uh, but obviously it looks like they're a little bit improved. And, and then for Louisville, uh, it sounds like from just talking to a couple of different people who are at the scrimmage, it sounds like they're 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 hitting, obviously, I mean, aggressive as usual. The Luke Napleton, you know, we talked about transfers earlier. Luke Napleton was a Division II transfer they added. He was uh, as advertised in that scrimmage. But, fellas, kind of, kind of looking ahead, and uh, I can't remember who's going to see Louisville, but I'll, I'll be very curious to get, uh, you know, one of our guys' take on, on Louisville's pitching. It sounds like they're pitching uh, scuffled a little bit uh, against Purdue. But, yeah, guys, the, the Midwestern program's uh, making a lot of noise. And then uh, last but not least, uh, North Carolina, you know, Pat James for us was uh, was kind enough to write up some notes on, on North Carolina. And it sounds like uh, Alberto Osuna was very, very good uh, in their scrimmage. He had two home runs over 450 feet had three hits against Walter State. Uh, and they've got a couple of pitching transfers uh, that I'm sure Aaron will be kind of pinpointing later this fall from uh, Walter State. Fitzy, have you ever spoken? So um, Hunter Stokely is quickly becoming a personal favorite of mine. He's like, to me, he's like college baseball John Cruck, even though Stokely has really cleaned up his body. So I need him to stop doing that so he can remain uh, college baseball John Cruck. He seems like a super neat kid. I don't know. Have you ever spoken to him? Uh, a little bit, yeah. He seems he does seem like a, a neat a neat kid. I don't I don't know him real well, but uh, I mean, it's uh, you know, a player that has continued to get better year over year. I mean, um, I think a couple of years ago, I I thought of him as as maybe the biggest singles hitter in college baseball, yes. and um, you know, he has to his credit. I mean, he's 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 learned to to drive the ball better. He's still you know a lot of competitive at bats, but um, you know, it's he his slugging percentage jumped almost 100 points, I think, this past year. So um, he's he has worked on his body and he's gotten better year over year, and it's, it is a neat story. Yeah, he's awesome, Kendall. Um, before I give you guys some uh, Sunday night conversation reflections, okay. um, Arkansas sounds like we've got an early report on Arkansas that their pitching is just over the top awesome, which makes sense. Like Will yeah. McIntyre, is that his name? Will McIntyre? Am I doing that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, he right. could be their Tuesday guy for God's sakes. Like it's going to be crowded in that rotation. But hitting wise, like the offense, which makes sense, it's a lot of transfers, a lot of new faces, but outside of Kendall Diggs, uh, so it's hard to tell, like, is their pitching just that good that they're blowing their own hitters doors in, or is this really a, a, a position player group that's got a long way to go? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really interesting if you look at Arkansas, speaking of rosters, I think somebody told me, don't quote me on this just yet, but I think somebody told me they had 18 uh, pitchers in the roster in the fall, that's rather interesting. Um, you know, Hunter Deitz or Deets, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. I think it's it's probably Deets. But Hunter Deets, the the talented lefty, the the prep star, would have been a guy that could very easily 
got drafted in the top couple of rounds, uh, decided to go to school, and apparently so far, like he's been so good that the the scout I talked to thought he could be their Friday guy. Uh, it's 94-96 on the left side with like a hammer breaking ball. Uh, his comp on him was Cole Hamels. I'm very curious to get Aaron's take when he sees Arkansas later this fall. But that was kind of his comp on Hunter Dietz uh, was uh, Cole Hamels. A That's a pretty damn good comp. As a <laughs> That's a good. Yeah, he was a first rounder. Uh, yeah. And and one that'll, of the play. MLB games. So, uh, so I think, well, you know, no matter what Arkansas's offense might look like right now, I think we all can probably assume that their offense will probably be okay. Yeah, that's right. You know, there are years where they may not just be like overly explosive. Like Arkansas never has what you would call a bad offense. It'll be competitive regardless of the talent level. And Kendall Diggs is awesome. I, I'm, I'm, you know, out of all those SEC schools, I'm probably most intrigued to read the Ole Miss and Mississippi State fall reports. Like they're the two most fascinating programs in that league by far for me. Kendall, they'll be intriguing until July. I mean, like, yes. like th- that intrigue will never stop. Like, I think it's going to be week to week intrigue. Like, like this is a, re- a bizarre analogy, but like Mississippi State and Ole Miss are like our Yankees and Mets right now. Like, it is like fishbowl baseball. Like, it, it there are going to be a lot of eyes on them all year. Yeah, then uh, Georgia. Like, I feel like Georgia, like their transfer portal class is actually really good. You know, if West, if if West proves to be a solid head coach, that could be a team that surprises some people because they've got they've got some nice pieces, and they tend you know they have a guy named Charlie Condon who's pretty decent. So who? Yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Speaking of loyalty, that's another great one. We said it last time on the podcast, and I'll repeat it. Like if you're in the SEC, every day is code red, right? Like it's just like you you are if you are not climbing the mountain at a very rapid uh, velocity, then you you are getting left behind. That league is just absolutely nuclear at all times. Boys, let's wrap with this. So I've been doing all these podcasts. It's been so fun. You can tell that I've got a lot of um, first world concerns over here. I'm worried about all the changes in college baseball. Uh, the carrots took their first loss last weekend. I got I got a lot of uh, personal angst going on. These podcasts have have been great for my soul. I did the podcast last week with Stephen Shock, which was amazing, super fun. Um, and then you know these Sunday night conversations. I got to, to do the Kansas State one with Mike Clement and then Ross Kiva and Blair DeBoard was so cool. There, you mentioned uh, earlier, Kendall, the one with Ryan Fulmer of Oral Roberts. I mean, it is. It was so cool to relive their run to Omaha last year. I, I just booked Tom Holiday uh, this morning. Mm. Think about this: Tom Holiday went, took a team to Omaha as a Division One head coach. He's just a dude from Pittsburgh. Took a team to Omaha as an assistant coach, as a head coach. He's got a son that played in the big leagues forever. He's got a son that also has taken a team to um, Omaha. He's got a grandson who's the number one ranked prospect in all of baseball he's got another grandson who's the number one ranked prospect in the 2025 high school class who, who, who by the way people think is better than his brother yeah right so that's jackson and ethan are the are matt's kids so anyway just i'm super excited to talk to th and you guys know he's always a an amazing conversation he yeah. he will not hold back no never awesome. god bless him because he can right like because because of that family tree i just laid out like i still he, i still would love to know the dynamic whenever tom holiday coached with elliot avent like you talk about like two dudes who refused to hold back. Like I would yeah. love to be in those coaches it, meetings. It worked pretty well for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, TH's secret sauce is his wife, Kathy, is amazing. Like, she is a, an angel on earth. So she is, uh, yeah, they're, they're uh, an amazing Yeah, I, Yeah, if the, the previous Sunday conversations are any indication, fans are in for a treat. Because it was hard to beat the Clem, DeBoard, uh, Kivet uh, series. Mm. But, you know, Moose was awesome. And obviously, Fulmer has a great story as well. You know, yeah. we, you know we, just, we just talked about people being committed to schools. I mean, Ryan Fulmer from Pennsylvania – uh, could have very easily gone back to Penn State for probably a hell of a lot more money and decided to just kind of stay the course at ORU. And uh, in this day and age, that's uh, to be commended. Yep. Let me, if you guys will allow me to to uh, to in, indulge myself here, here are my next four Sunday night Ooh. conversations. So this week is John Yurkow of Penn and Dr. Barry Ooh. Davis of Ryder. You know, I'm getting a little Northeast flavor there. I like they, that, actually. Love yeah. Yurkow's done a great job. Yeah, and they had great runs. Remember, I mean, Penn was two and zero in regionals last year, and uh, and yeah. and Ryder had that big win against Coastal. Then the right. week week after, I'm really pumped about this one too. It'll be Matt Hobbs and Chuck Jeralman. So like Ooh. two up and coming SEC, not even yeah. up and coming, two premier SEC assistants. Um, those those are two neat guys. Ones that ones on the pitching side, mm-hmm. ones on the hitting side. The week after that is going to be Mitch Gaspard and Tim Jamison. So, you know, kind of getting back to that theme of club. Yeah, right. Like SEC head coaches who are now (laughs) doing a really cool job as a I like that idea, actually. Yeah. And then Tom Holiday. I've got I've got like a a white whale um, uh, a guest coming down the pike. I don't want to I don't want to jinx it or say anything, but um, I've got another. Can I go ahead and predict who it's who it's going to be? What do you predict? Yeah, go for it. What, what's going on here? What are the balloons? What balloons <laughs> did you hit, Kendall? <laughs> what, was, what was that? We got balloons on the screen. Uh, All right, who the hell did that? That wasn't me. Yeah, 48-minute yeah, mark of the video. Somebody, you're going to see uh, balloons. It's worth your time. I'm going to say I'm going to say it's Murph. That's right. I was going to say, I was going to give you a hint that this person is in or, or P, the MLB playoffs. Yeah, right now, it's, it's – so Murph, I told you guys, Murph, somebody recommended Murph because this is a guy that won almost 1,000 games as a college coach. And now he spent a decade in the big leagues. And so, you know, of course, Murph is like family for me. Um, but I, but that, that was the nature of the suggestion was that person yeah, said, hey, like Murph's done everything at, at this point in our sport. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, yeah. So, so thanks for indulging me there. That's Those okay. Conversations well, the, well, the good thing fun. about Murph on with you is he'll be the second best coach on the, on the pod. <laughs> that is, uh, I appreciate that comment. I've never I'm seen all... grass stains on Murph's pants. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. Something that something he can aspire to in his career. Oh, gentlemen, I, uh, this was great. Thank you. Thank you for the, the good, uh, the good vibes that that was uh what a fun time of the the year uh fitzy where what's next for you what where are we going where are we going to see baseball next i've actually got one more little northeast run i'm gonna see uh rutgers and seton hall coming up this weekend uh, not against each other two separate scrimmages and also um the week after that i think i'm i'm get back out to see the wolf pack a little more and then i'm on the road i've got uh, kansas state i've got kansas oklahoma state i've got arkansas would love to try to get old roberts in there as well if i can make that work um so that's uh, that's the next week and a half or so for me hey, kendall you didn't see the uh that's awesome kendall you didn't see the end of the the podcast with ryan fulmer yet but he gave you and i a shout out remember we did that zoom call during the pandemic for oral roberts when they were doing their um fundraiser and uh, so Ryan Fulmer, you and I got jumped on a Zoom call with them, did a Q&A with their radio guy. 
And uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Ryan was very appreciative of that, which is super cool. So. Yeah, I think I think back to the interesting things we did back then. I still remember doing the uh, the live group chat with uh, Jordan Wicks. Remember when like yeah, me and KP were like probably like eight beers in doing like a live chat with Jordan Wicks. How great is that? Oh my god! And he's a big leaguer now, so it's just kind of yeah. I do remember that a little bit though. Yeah, that's Very awesome. Cool, awesome, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was all mine. Um, that's it. Everybody have a great week, and we will catch you next time on the D1 Baseball Podcast. The D1 Baseball Podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.